0: Genesis chapter 50, as you're turning to Genesis chapter 50, today I want you to go home and I want you to pull out 100 pennies, and I want you to find a flat surface, and for 30 minutes I want you to spin all 100 pennies and keep them going. Don't let one of them drop, I'm serious. I want you to do it for 30 minutes, kind of overwhelming, right? I mean, you think about that, I'd probably do two of them and do it for about 30 seconds maybe. Maybe. But what if you had 8 billion pennies that you had to spin, and you had to keep them constantly spinning? Let's just say 8 billion people in this world today. All the circumstances, all the thoughts, all the prayers of the Christians, and by the way, hold up the table while you're spinning 8 billion of them, take care of the universe and the weather and all those things. When we think of that, and when I read Scripture, it's what God does. He's sovereign. He's the ruler of the universe. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And he does all those things without even breaking a sweat. We have been looking at God's attributes. And we've seen that as we look at each attribute that God is infinite. That there is no bounds. There's no measurements. There's nothing that holds in or measures these attributes. He's infinite in every single one. So he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, he is present everywhere, and he is infinitely holy. There's no sin or evil in him at all. Now when we study those, as we've done the last few weeks, we go, what a comfort for God's people to know those things about God. And we take peace in those wonderful, glorious truths. And when you look at those, just those together, they lay out for us God's sovereignty, and so, with this morning, we look at the attribute that God is infinitely sovereign, that He's in control of all things. And if I gathered in this room, or let's just say in the city, many Christians from around the world, and I said, do you believe that God is sovereign? There'd probably be a big, yeah, uh, yeah uh, unanimous yes. The problem, though, which we look at this morning, is that there are differing opinions and definitions which go contrary to the word of God regarding what does it mean when we say that God is sovereign. So this morning we look to the truths of God's word and the scriptural truth that we look at this morning is God is the supreme king of the universe who is in complete control of all things resulting in comfort and joy in the hearts of his people. As you've turned to Genesis chapter 50, here's the background. If you don't know, there's a guy named Joseph, and you need to know this part before we read this because this is key. Joseph was one of 12 brothers. He was second to the last. His father loved him and actually showed him favoritism, so he makes him this famous coat of many colors, which makes his brothers jealous. And so uh, one day he's told, hey, go check on your brothers after he had these dreams, which no one liked in his family. And so he goes out to see his brothers and his brothers say, oh, here's that brother of ours. Let's take his coat and let's kill him. And it just happened to be that they said, well, there's a pit. Let's throw him in the pit. Instead of killing him, they looked up. And they just happened to see, oh, there's some traitors going by. Let's sell him to those slave traders so we don't kill him. And they take the uh, cloth and they put some animal blood, take it back to the father and say, oh, uh, something happened to Joseph. He must have died. A beast got him. And it just happened to be that those slave traders were going to Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, it just happened to be a guy named Potiphar buys Joseph and makes him his slave who has a wife who asks Joseph day after day, sleep with me, come have sex with me. Instead, she sets him up and he refuses. And so she frames him and says, hey, this guy tried to uh, abuse me, to rape me, whatever. So he gets thrown into prison just happens to be it's a prison in which there's two guys that served pharaoh who ends up in prison as well and while he's there for many years whatever time it is they just happen to have some dreams in the middle of night and joseph just happens to by god's power to be able to tell them what they mean a few days later both those dreams come true one guy is killed the other one's restored back to pharaoh and a time later pharaoh has a couple dreams And it just happened to be that the guy remembered oh, that's right, there's Joseph in there. Let's bring him out, and he'll interpret it for you. And he interprets the dreams for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, if we're going to prepare for this famine, then you're in charge. And he makes him like his second in command, like his prime minister. And Joseph then prepares for seven years for a famine. And because he does that, all of these people happen to survive this famine. And by chance, his brothers who live in another country who did this wicked evil deed come to Egypt because their dad says, hey, go get some food. They just happen to go in the day that he's there. He sees them. They don't recognize them and through a host of things they realize this is Joseph who we sold into slavery he forgives them go get dad and bring all your family and they live together in Goshen which is another, another key thing just happened to be there and now their dad dies here's what happens in the words that are said after their dad dies verse 15 His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The Word of God. We talk about God's sovereignty. You see Joseph making a statement about God's sovereignty. And it's very important that we understand what Scripture teaches us about God being sovereign. So, what do we mean when we say that God is sovereign? Here are some ways that we try to communicate this God is God. God is God, therefore he is sovereign. God rules over all things, over all the universe. He has absolute control. Again, I would ask, and most Christians would say, yes, I believe that. God's in complete control of all things. He's the supreme commander, the supreme ruler, the supreme king of the universe. God is in complete control of every single thing. And when we talk about God's sovereignty, we also say that God is able to do all of His holy will, and He does it. He fulfills it. Let me just ask this question. Does God answer to anyone? There's like silence, a expecting a resounding. No! God answers to no one. There is no one, no law that God has to follow. God answers to no one. What God desires to do, He does And there's no one that can stop God's hand, influence God's hand, or move God's hand. Two passages of Scripture, Psalm 135, verses 5 and 6 says this, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deep. You see, what God pleases to do, He does. We may please to do something, but we can't always do that. Whatever God pleases to do, He always, always, always does. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. It says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. That means us. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? It would be great for you to highlight, circle that, underline that last question. It's like, how do any of us have any say, God, why are you doing that? You know, what, what are you thinking? There's no right that we have to say that to God because he is God. It's important that we understand when we say that God is sovereign that there is nothing outside of His sovereign will. You, and and if you can take that in, that nothing happens outside of God's sovereign will, then you should right now take a deep breath. I can trust God. I can rest in Him. I can have peace in my heart knowing that everything that may seem outside of God's will is not outside of God's will. Okay, that means a whole lot for my day-to-day living because God's in charge. He's in control. Isaiah chapter 48, 46. Isaiah chapter 46. It says in verses 8 through 10, Remember this, and stand firm, recall it to mine, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Did you catch what he says there in verse 9? For I am God, and there is what? It says like there's a hundred more. Is that what he says? No, he says there's no other. He says, I am the only God. And so that is key to to understand that God is sovereign. So what I want to do this morning is look, and if you're following the notes, there's three things um, that we're going to look at, three areas that God is sovereign in. Now we could have put a whole bunch, but for the sake of time, we'll look at three, which are God's creation, His providence, and sin and salvation. So actually, I probably should have put four, but I put sin and salvation there together. So four areas that God is sovereign in. Number one, God is sovereign in creation. We focused on creation in the last few weeks, especially when we looked at God's omnipotence, that He is all-powerful. Turn to Psalm chapter 33. Psalm chapter 33 reminds us of Genesis chapter 1, in which when God created, He spoke and said, let there be what? Let there be light. And then He said, you know, let the mountains rise, let the water only get this far. He said, let or He said do, or He made, and it was all by His words. I mean, that is amazing to think that, that He created the universe with a word. Psalm chapter 33, and you'll keep your hand there because we'll go back to it again in a moment. Verses 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host... He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. God is sovereign in creation. We must also understand this. God did not... Create the universe because it was something that was good for him to do. God doesn't need the universe. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect unity, perfect fellowship. There was nothing that said, God, it would be good if you decided one day to create the universe and some people and all these things. There's nothing that controls his hand. God desired to do it, so he did it. So when we look at God being sovereign, the Word of God is talking about His sovereign will, His sovereign decrees, that, that it is excellent, that He is praiseworthy because of this, that whatever God does, He does rightful and He does in holiness, and there's no sinfulness or wickedness in Him, which we will look at in just a moment. Therefore, we can join in in Revelation 4:11, and say, "Worthy are you, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your hand, by your will they existed and were created." So this morning, you should praise God and say, "Worthy are you, Lord, of all of our praise, just even for the creation, that we should praise Him because of that." So when you look at creation, here's a few, again, just a few things this morning we're pointing out. God is sovereign over all matter, that everything in the universe he holds together. We'll look at that in a moment too. We were in Colossians last week with that. But if you think of God being sovereign over all matter, this means one molecule, one atom, one grain of sand, one speck of dust. If it's outside of God's sovereign will, then he's not sovereign And he's not God. You're like, that speck of dust that I can see falling. Yes. And some people think that's a ridiculous statement. But if anything happens outside of God's will, then he's not sovereign. There's someone controlling or something controlling something. So I prayed that you and I would understand anything outside of God's will, then God is not sovereign. And he's not God. Many people, including Christians, believe that God did not create the world in six days. I've had great talks with brothers and sisters in Christ before that believe in evolution. They believe that, well, God used it in a way. But here's the problem with evolution If you believe that God used evolution or He didn't, either way, evolution denies God's sovereignty. What it does, it says, well, God created or God used evolution, and then God stepped out of it, just like we looked last week about false errors, about what we believe about God's omnipresence. God is intricately involved in every aspect of creation, and therefore, evolution denies God's sovereignty and for some of you that's hard because we've been raised in schools from young age that says evolution 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 science 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 it's never weighed against god's word because we don't do that in our society but you must wrestle with the fact that anything outside of god's will like evolution denies god's sovereignty god controls all angels holy and unholy. That means the angels in heaven that are around the throne, uh, they're they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they're saying it over and over to the demons that are, are roaming the earth and Satan. I was praying that you would understand that God is sovereign over Satan. Many people believe that Satan is sovereign or he has some type of Way to be everywhere at all times. And so statements like Satan maybe do it, the devil maybe do it. We think that, okay, Satan's causing that person problem in India right now, and he's on my back today. Well, Satan has more power than humans do, but his power is restrained. Turn to Job chapter one. Satan's power is restrained. Do you know the demons in this world, their power is restrained. They only do what our sovereign God allows them to do, even though you may see something that's wicked, see something that's of the devil, see something that's of the enemy, and you go like, where's God? Well, God's in control, and He only allows them to do what's within His sovereign will. I think uh, as you turn into Job chapter 1, many people uh, think that Satan's going to do something bad to me today. I just read it in Job. Some people think, oh, he's going to make me or the demons are going to force me to do something. Well, let's read what Job has to say. Look at verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered, the Lord, and said, from going to and fro the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth and a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered, the Lord said, the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Here's the key. Look at verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Keep your hand there. We'll turn to chapter 2. Satan then... Goes And there's a host of things that happens on the same day. He loses everything. The enemy comes and takes things away. Fire from heaven, as it's, as it's described as one of his uh, uh, servants, burns up some of the stuff. And then all of his children die when this wind blows and knocks the house over that they're in. And yet Job doesn't turn from God. He worships God. And you'd think, wow, that is enough. But look at chapter 2, verse 12, or verse 6. He, uh, Satan comes to you again, and he's the like, Lord, Lord's like, look, Job didn't turn. He's, he, 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 he follows me. He's a righteous man. He goes, yeah, but you know what? If you just took away his health, you know, give him cancer. Give him something here. Give him this disease. He will turn from you. Verse 6, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. And I encourage you to go And read this week, Job, read the end, the last few chapters. Unbelievable passage of Scripture where God shows his sovereignty to Job. And he puts Job and Job's friends in their place. Satan and the angels only can do what God allows them to do. Satan is actually to flee from those who are in Christ. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, he's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for people to devour, you know that? We, therefore, are able to rest in the Word of God and to stand, and God enables us to do it by His Spirit and the Word of God. But Satan cannot force you to do anything, and he cannot do to you anything that the Lord does not allow. So God is sovereign over matter, over angels, holy and unholy. Uh, God controls earthly rulers. And some of you are like, yes, all right, we like this one. Well, and some of you are going, God, where are you? You look at all the kings and rulers and princes and, and presidents and people around the world, uh, some people go, all right, God controls? Yes, he controls earthly rulers. They only do what God wants them to do. And some of you say, no, look at their sinfulness and the wicked things they do. Well, we're going to see how God is sovereign over sin in just a moment. Romans 13:1. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. We're like, ah, oh, why do you, can't we skip that part? It says, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So if you see a ruler in this world somewhere, or in your state, or in your city, or in some country, and you go, what in the world was God thinking? You're questioning God's will. We'll end with that at the end in Romans 9. God puts rulers in their place. Daniel chapter 2 says, He sets kings in their place and He takes them out of their place. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 though says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And I, as I read that this week, I'm like, put some water in your hand and move it around like this. This is what God does to the heart of a king, that he just turns it like a stream. And to think that's not just with kings, that's with all of us. That God turns all of our hearts according to his will. So God is sovereign over all creation. And so the second thing, let's look on, the, on, the, on, the, on our... Um, outline if you're following along here, is God is sovereign in providence. So God creates the universe and he cares for the universe through what we call providence in which he preserves and he governs over all of his creation. God is the captain of the ship. He steers the ship where he wants it to go. Even though we may want it to go here, he's like, no, it's going here. God is in complete control over human events and decisions for his purposes. And this is the part where the warning flag goes up and the lights start blinking because this is when people start to get upset when you talk about God's sovereignty because of our sinfulness. So I'm just giving you a warning. Psalm 33, go back there. Psalm 33, God's providence, his care for his people. We want God to care for us as long as it's within our will, right? We want God to do what He wants to do as long as I am okay with it. Well, here's what it says in verse 10 and 11. Psalm 33. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. So it's not our plan It's God's plan. And even though we may have plans in life, Scripture tells them they fall in accordance with His will and His sovereignty. God brings every single thing to pass in creation and controls everything to accomplish His will. If He had to rely on us or things in this world to do that themselves, He is not God. And he is not in control. When we talk about God's providence, now you go back to Genesis chapter 50. Some of you are like, when were we getting back there? This is when we talk about God's being sovereign in his providence. As you turn there, we see in Genesis 50 and actually the life of Joseph that God directs human activity and events and decisions all to fall within his sovereign will. That means all the major things, like all the huge trouble things that you see in this world and all of the smallest uh, minutia. And what I mean by that, Matthew 10, 29 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. How many birds are there in this world? I mean, are there billions and billions? I don't know how many. They can estimate. But the fact that God knows everything... Is in control of everything. And he knows that you have had the worst day in your life this week. And at the same time, that three sparrows died over in that park. Nothing evades his knowledge, his power, his presence, or his sovereignty. And because God is sovereign, our future, amen, is in God's hand and not Satan's or someone else. Again, some Christians battle and think, these people are going to do this to me, Satan's going to do this to me, and those things do not happen or are not allowed unless it's according to God's will. Your future is in God's hand, whether you believe in Him or not. And so I don't know if you paid attention when I was telling you the background story about Joseph. I kept saying, oh, it just happened? Or some of you are like... Pastor saying that? Where is he going with this? Well, let's talk about chance. Good luck and bad luck. Because God is working everything according to his will, there is no such thing as good luck or bad luck. And somebody like, oh come on. No, it's true. Some people would say like this. Joseph had some bad luck. His dad should have never given him that coat. That wretched coat caused all these problems. And bad luck after bad luck. Oh, but then you know what? He had some good luck that one day because that cup bearer remembered he was the dream interpreter. But that's how many people, even many Christians, look at life as things of being good luck or bad luck. Some of you are like, oh, I like to play and and roll the dice. And it's like, well, here's what God's Word says about even rolling dice. Proverbs 16, 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So you can be playing Monopoly with your kids or whoever, and you're wanting to roll two sixes, and you're blowing on it, and you're shaking them, doing all your stuff to throw it. You're like, oh, man, God controls the die to... Teach us that He's in control of everything. There's nothing by chance that happens. Yet we battle and struggle in a world that teaches that everything's good luck, bad luck, good karma, bad karma. And yet in those things, God's sovereignty and His complete control is thrown to the back room and not believed. God is complete control of all of your life circumstances, even your tragedies. You go, whoa, whoa, what if Satan did that? The enemy did that? He's in control of everything, even your life tragedies. When you face a tragedy, when you read Joseph's life, many people say, that was a tragedy what happened to him and being thrown in the pit and slavery and then into jail and all these things. People say, that's a tragedy. God was working through it. We don't read in the in storyline all that God at some point while he's in the prison one night says, Hey Joseph, by the way, hold on for four more years because I'm in control of all this. We don't have that. It does, it's not until you read Genesis 50 where he speaks what God has shown him in this. Go back to Genesis 50. Look specifically at verses 19 through 21. And as you're turning there, some people... <clears throat> And I've even heard pastors preach wrongly that God has nothing to do with suffering. I've heard Christians say, well, no, it's just because it's a fallen world and Satan. Suffering comes from them, not from God. God doesn't uh, ever allow or have anything to do with that. But Christians do believe that God has the power to stop our sufferings, but many times He does not Because there's a purpose behind it. Christians do believe that God is holy, that His will is holy, and that He's ordained what to happen, uh, and it's for His purpose and His glory. But there are things at times we think He should do, and He does not because it's not within His will. Verse 19, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Did you see verse 20? He acknowledges, you guys did a horrible, wicked act. You guys were evil. You were going to kill me. but Instead, this happened. And He says, what you meant for evil against me... God meant it for good. So think about that in light of tragedies that you face in your life. You would, living here would know, just east of town, you have the Clark Fork and you have the Blackfoot. And they come together, right? There's this confluence that happens there. And you can think about God's sovereign will and His working in our lives and circumstances and working as coming together when we read the things that we read here in Genesis chapter 50. Many, 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 many times, maybe many, 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 many times a day, we do not intend to do what God desires or wants us to do, but, and so we sin, and yet even in our sin, God works His will in our sin for his glory and his purpose. He fulfills all of his plans even when we are not desiring to follow and be obedient to him. So what do you see in verse 20? Joseph's brothers were not outside, acting outside of God's will and plan. Their evil act was a part of what God had ordained in his will so that Joseph would be sold into slavery, be in Egypt, On through the end of the story, and many people are saved. And again, this is the part where it gets even harder. Wait. They're sinners. They're wicked. They did some evil things and God used that? God allowed that? Well, let's look at the third point. God is sovereign over sin and salvation. First, God is sovereign over sin by decreeing sin. And so it's like, whoa, what do you mean by that? God rules and governs and uses our sin for His purposes. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4 the Lord has made everything for its purpose. We agree on that? Even the wicked for the day of trouble. That's, that's some strong words there. Do you read that? Look at it. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So again, Joseph's brother's betrayal, sold into slavery, on through down to the famine and Joseph, the reconciliation later with his brothers. God's sovereignty included their wickedness and God never sinned in any of it. And his holy will was fulfilled. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 4, We see how God is sovereign over sin. Chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. It says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So did people sin against Jesus when he was taken to the cross? Yes. Did the Pharisees sin against Jesus when they took him to trial? Yes. Did the crowd cheering for him to be crucified, was there sin going on? Yes. But did you read what it says there? To do whatever your hand and your plan had protested to take place? That before God ever said, let there be light, His will and plan included the sinfulness of man as part of fulfilling the glorious grace through Jesus Christ. Now here's one of the things that we were at a couple weeks ago and we look at here. Someone say, okay, when I read the word predestined or I read the word foreknowledge, this means God's omniscience. He knows all things. We studied this a couple weeks ago. You can go listen online if you weren't here with us then. But some believe that God foresees all the human decisions, which he does and he knows, but without ordaining them. I'll just tell you, I can't find it in Scripture. If you look into future and God has not ordained all human activity, then we go back to chance and luck. And it just happens. And what that leads to, if we are left to chance, God is not sovereign and God is not God. If God is waiting for you to do something so that then His will is fulfilled, He's not God. You're God. Are we getting anywhere this morning? Everyone's... I'll just tell you, this is, um, at times, God's sovereignty. I don't know. Maybe I'll come up with another list, but I'd say that this is probably one of the most hardest, difficult doctrine to believe. If we truly want to believe all of the Bible that says about God's sovereignty... And the reason is because we are humans. And we're born into this world with a sin nature. One day, believers will be glorified. Man, what a day to understand these things fully. But I know that in my lifetime, I've been one of the ones who's railed at God with my fist and saying, God, no way is your sovereignty this way and this way. And you read a scripture and you're like, oh, how is that? We just need to acknowledge it's a reality for us this morning if we're seeking to glorify God as Him being sovereign. Turn to Acts 2, just a page over. God is sovereign over sin. The example of Joseph and then also the betrayal and murder of Jesus. Every wicked act is in God's plan, but he never commits it or forces a person to. Read James chapter 1 this week. Specifically, verses uh, 13 through 15 says, God does not tempt anyone to sin. He is not tempted. But when you and I are tempted by sin, that we do sin. But God has no part in tempting to sin because he's holy and righteous and never, ever sins. Acts chapter 2, verses 23 through 24. Again, God's sovereignty over sin. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The key there, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, people crucified and killed Jesus. And at the same time, Jesus says in John chapter 10 that he's the one who lays down his life and he's the one who takes it back up again. When the people were acting on the day that Jesus was crucified, those things were fulfilling prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Those people sinned. They, on their own free will, sinned, not understanding or knowing that they're fulfilling prophecy and fulfilling God's sovereign will. And with that, we can see, lastly, that God is sovereign in salvation. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. God is sovereign in salvation, and Ephesians chapter 1 teaches us that Christians, the church, the body of Christ, saints, says are predestined according to his purpose. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. This is about Christians. The inheritance of eternal life with Christ forever in His presence as one of the adopted children of God forever and ever. No more sin. In glory. Glorified state. Being with God. It says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance that we have now and in the future. It says, Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And again, God's omniscience, his all-knowing, is not the reason that he predestined people for salvation. Meaning, God did not look down the quarter at a time and say, Okay, on October 21st, 1990-something, Sherry is going to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, now I'm going to write her name down because of that. We just read at the beginning of this sermon that nothing, no one forces the hand of God. I cannot find any scripture that supports that God because he saw on that day I was going to do that. Now he has to write my name in. It's not scriptural. It's something that we believe. I believed for years because I wanted to have some control and I could not rely on God's complete control. Read Acts chapter 9. It's the most definitive salvation of a person that I can find in scripture that helps us understand that God that salvation belongs to God. The Apostle Apostle Paul, who is Saul, on the road to Damascus, is going to go persecute and kill Christians, throw them in jail. And while he's on the road, God stops him. They fall down to the ground. God blinds them. He doesn't give him the gospel and say, okay, here's this, this, and this. He just says, Saul, get up and go do this. Saul believes he's obedient. And I don't know how to help you understand, other than reading, that God just saved Saul who didn't want God to save him. Jesus. Yes, he was a Pharisee. Yes, he believed in God's law and is an expert in it. But he did not want to be saved by Jesus Christ. He wanted to kill everyone that was promoting Jesus Christ. And Saul was converted on that road. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Ephesians chapter 2 then backs up what Saul experienced. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? Aren't we all for the grace of God? We're so thankful that Jesus was a gift given that we could be saved. God is sovereign in the way that he applies his grace. We can't tell him, no one can tell him how or when to save us. John 6, says this, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, if we go back to that story of Genesis and you read on into Exodus, what happens is the nation of Israel is enslaved to Pharaoh of Egypt. They're slaves. They cannot get away. And God... Through Moses and God's power that he brings them out of slavery to the promised land you and I are born into this world as slaves to wickedness to evil to sinfulness by our sin nature because Adam fell in the garden it was passed down to every single one of us and so what God does when he draws his people to him he sends his Holy Spirit to convict your heart and when you are convicted of your heart of sin and the gospel is declared to you he rejects Generates your heart, and you see the gift of grace of Jesus Christ, and you do believe. You're told to believe. You ever heard that or read that in the Bible? You're to believe. Well, how do you believe? The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to, and you see Jesus, and you believe, and you are saved And the Holy Spirit enters your heart at that moment of salvation, at justification, at that point when you're adopted as God's child. The Holy Spirit fills your heart, floods your heart. He fills you up and empowers you to live and walk in holiness as God sanctifies you until the day that you're with Him and you're glorified in heaven with Him forever. It is a glorious plan of salvation. It's not glorious when we try to control it. But it's a glorious plan of salvation and what He does. Man, we're probably going to have to come back to this another week. There's so much more. I was telling a few people earlier, I'm like, we could study this forever and ever because I'm sure that there are a million questions that people want to send. Acts 13, 48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Again, Man's greatest problem with God, I believe, is that they do not want to believe that God is sovereign. We struggle with the doctrine of God's sovereignty because we are a man-centered focus, that it's all me, myself, and I, that I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do, and God all includes you when I need you, and when I'm suffering, and when I'm in trouble, and at the end of my life, before I breathe my last. then I'll ask you to save me so I can go to heaven and have a happy eternity. That's how many people view God. Let's turn to one last passage Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. When we struggle with God's will, and we want to know why He's doing this or that, and He doesn't give us a clear answer in Scripture. Um, we need to watch our hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Because here's what verses 17 through 21 says. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? God does as he does, as he pleases as he does, according to his will he does. And we need to pray that God would help us know that he is Sovereign. So, lastly, what do you do with this? What's my response to a sovereign God? Our response should be that we believe that He's in complete control. We should believe God's sovereignty, uh, that it should change, in a sense, how we view our past, our present, and our future events in our life. God's sovereignty should move us to fear Him, to worship Him, to bow down before Him because He is God. We should stand in awe of his steadfast love and mercy poured out on the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and make us his own. God's sovereignty should lead us to be obedient and to be humbly before him daily and read his word and to pray and take joy, lastly, in God's sovereignty and with a grateful heart, give thanks to him. As the worship team comes forward, as we bless the name of the Lord, as we sing. My friend Dan and, and Matt and Brant, when uh, we were growing up, um, many evenings staying over at their house, they, I, I grew up with a couple sisters, so these guys were like my brothers, and uh, Brant used to like to play this game called the what if game. And it was like, I just want to go to sleep, and he'd ask you all these ridiculous what if questions. You have to respond. But what if... Joseph's father had not given him a coat? What if the caravan was not going to Egypt? What if the two people under Pharaoh were not thrown in jail? What if Joseph could not interpret those dreams? What if after the famine, all of his people, family, came down, the Israelites, and lived there in Goshen? And what if they weren't in slavery? What if Moses wasn't born? Do you see where it goes and on and on? No nation, no prophets, no Jesus. Heavenly Father, we want to be a people who worship you rightly in spirit and truth. We want to praise your name. And I pray you to help us this morning. Give us joy for knowing you. Give us joy that you give us understanding. Lord, some of these truths are so hard at times. And we need you to help us to believe them. Father, would you help those in the midst of the tragedies that they're in right now. That you would help them see that you're in control. That you are there with them, present always. That even if they don't feel it, that you are there and you know the pain that they have. The trouble that they're in. The things that they are facing. That you would help them know that you are there. And that nothing will happen outside of your will. Father, I pray for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ in this world, that in this moment that they face persecution, that you would remind them that you are there and it's part of your will, and that all of the glory is going to you. Would you strengthen them? Would you encourage them? Would you help them to walk in your ways? Father, for any in this room, anyone listening to this, that wherever they're at, at whatever moment, that if they have been far from you, if they have been living in their wickedness in their slavery to sin, would you set them free today by the grace of Jesus Christ? Jesus, thank you for dying in our place for our sins. You receive all the glory and all the praise. We love you, Jesus. Amen.